it's like, okay, so go back further than England, and it's like, okay, so Jamaica, Jamaica and Italy, and then Italy to India, India and China, China and Spain. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I have a very, very diverse, my parents are extremely mixed. Well, yeah, so they were. That's <laughs> so cool. Yeah. Yeah, we learn something every day, challenge ourselves every day, but what we think other people are. <laughs> yeah, I know. So whenever, like, it's always funny to me because I know that I'm so, I'm so mixed, but no matter where I go in this world, I'll always be black. <laughs> so it's, it's funny because it, it's like, wow, that is two opposite. Those are two oxymorons that are just mingled. How did they mingle like that? Pregnancy, birth, parenting, it means so many different things to so many different people. What does living a healthy reproductive life mean in the context of reproductive justice? Our birth conversations are the kind that often get left out of the mainstream. I promise, like life, we'll leave you with some answers, but perhaps more questions. These are birth conversations that matter. These are the birth talks. Are you ready? Hey everyone, welcome to The Birth Talks, an intersectional feminist podcast about birth conversations that matter. I'm your host, Mai Ngo. This is part two of If These Uteruses Could Talk. In the first episode, we heard 10 people from all walks of life share what their uterus would say if it could talk. And as promised in this episode, we delve deeper into intersectionality with the 11th person that I've interviewed, Mickey Bradshaw. So what is intersectionality? It was coined by Black feminist professor... Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. And last week, I said in very simplified terms that intersectionality um, means multiple identities. But of course, it's much more than that. So the first thing about intersectionality is that it's different from white feminism. This I, I really boiled it down to this in the most simplistic way, because I think a lot of you do understand, um, in quote, white feminism, although may not use exactly those that term. White feminism, or second wave feminism, says that women and men must be equal, but it looks at it at injustice through one lens, which is the gender lens. Intersectional feminism looks at injustice in levels and layers, and those layers can be things like racism, sexism, classism, ableism, homophobia, Islamophobia, and goes the list can go on. Um, they don't exist in isolation of each other, but they intersect. All of us have um, more than just one identity. And depending on what identity um, we have, we may experience certain isms or phobias um, that other people um, may not experience. And all of those isms and phobias that we experience are all influenced by the systems that govern our society. So think of it like a highway. So intersectionality is like a complex system of roads zigzagging, crossing over one another. Um, sometimes when you look at a highway, that's really complex. You don't know where one starts and where one begins. What are these multiple identities? What are these multiple oppressions? What are the systems that cause these oppressions? Our only way of understanding all of this is through lived experience. And this is why I really loved my interview with Mickey. So Mickey's the 11th person that I interviewed for If These Uteruses Could Talk. My conversation with him raised questions about reproductive justice, intersectionality, and what it means to navigate the world as no one but yourself. My name is Mickey Bradshaw. 
I am an artist. Uh, I'm a musical artist, uh, sound artist, and advocate activist within the LGBTQIA plus community. Uh, I happen to be someone who is trans, um, and so I know what it's like to live with uterus and without. <laughs> well, the first thing I have to ask is, what, what pronoun do you prefer now? He. Or they, if, if, if it needs to be, kind of okay. deal. They okay. Okay. Why do you say if needs to be? If needs to be, it's a more along the lines of um, he is more because although I feel I I know that I display very masculine, um, I don't really feel like either inside, and I had to say he in order to be able to get the medical assistance that I needed. Oh, and so what do you actually like what like okay just kind of like putting away I what like I, I, mm-hmm. um because I'm also like from back in the day I always used to be say that I was gender queer or um a gender fucker. <laughs> um, so for me um having a hearing someone call me he is like affirmation of being genderqueer and a genderfucker for the rest of my life kind of deal. But um, if I had to come down to honestly with who do I feel I am, it's they. Mm. I use the he in the sense that, yeah, like I said, I, I'm, I am still I am still being queer i am still being subversive um and i get my own private giggle out of it. <laughs> can i can i can i like say something that might be ignorant but i'm just trying to understand like is it kind of like me saying to someone who's super straight and never encountered someone queer be like yeah i didn't i like if you wanted to think about how it was i could be bisexual but actually i identify as queer for example um but because I know society doesn't understand like a certain concept, so I, yes. I kind of conform a bit to it in a way, um, so that they can understand yes. it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And I've done this for a very long time in order to be able to push forward the door open so that other people are able to get other theories. Because without opening the door in the first place, none of those other theories are able to get through. So I know that I I know that over the course of my lifetime, because of where I was born, because I was born on the end of the second wave of feminism and into the third wave of feminism, because of where I was born, it's a matter of I I get the fact that I am constantly going to have to be pushing the envelope for anybody behind me. So, okay, let's say in the circle of your social circle, Mm -hmm. do you still have to educate people on, like, what it's like to be a person of color? Yes. Absolutely. I have to educate people all the time. There are are other people of color, but the other thing is, is that um, I'm not, I'm not the status quo, like, 
I'm not, I'm really not the status quo for a lot of people. I'm just, I think that um, a lot of people who have been on the margins and weren't the status quo and felt very much alone are starting to find one another much more now because of social media and um, being online. But um, in spaces with people of color, most of the time I was called whitewashed. I was called a coconut. I was called a lot of things. And, and even within queer spaces of color um, from early on. So it's been very hard to interact in that way, but I continue to do it. So where do you, like, where do you feel like you fit in like the most? Where, where is your, your people? Oh, wow. That's really hard. Um, yeah, I would say that I'm one of those misfits that uh, I get race. I understand it. And I'll always push for equality of people. I'll push for the equality of all. Um, but I'm not someone who I'm one of those non-binary people. That's what I mean. Like there's a whole movement, it feels like now where people are finding one another. So it feels more like a movement. I find that there is a lens of, for lack of better terminology, white feminism that's put on, put on it. And when that gets put on it, although there are things that are addressed, it still doesn't deal with the racial inequalities that are prevalent within the queer community, not let alone the greater community abroad. To me, you know what I feel like when we talk about this is I feel like um, I feel like a straight white male talking to a queer person of color like I am that but that's what I am because I'm like as a cisgendered you know female like that's what I that's what I am and I'm like I think I'm I mean I've just got I've just got to put it out like because I'm like yeah I want to I feel like this is something that has isn't talked about a lot yeah so can I ask you do you like um in terms of like, do you identify as straight, gay, queer? Like, what's your? Um, I identify. Okay, wow. Um, if we are going with um a very heteronormative cis population, they would only be able to comprehend the fact that I am bisexual. And that I'm transsexual or transgender. Um, and so that's where he definitely would come in. And that's how most people would feel most comfortable addressing me. Because I have a beard and I have a mustache. <laughs> and I don't have boobs. So <laughs> just like, hey, that's who you are then. So... If I have to put a label on myself, I say that I am queer, I'm non-binary, and I'm pansexual. So uh, trans isn't necessarily even a label that I would put on myself. It's more of a disclaimer because other people, that's what other people will understand. I'd rather say I'm just queer. <laughs> that's pretty profound. I don't even fucking know how, like, I can't, like, that's why I'm like, I am totally a white straight male here. Cause I'm like, I don't even know what that would be like. <laughs> this is, this is what I've been discovering as I've been kind of going through these, these questions with people is that like, if someone tells me like, 
one. I don't want to have kids is one thing, right? You tell me, like, you've got, like, okay, that, okay, we can work. But, like, we don't know how to convers- how to have conversations with, around just generally, like, what do you, what do you, what do we say if someone doesn't want to have children? What do we say if someone yeah. has a uterus and doesn't want to use it or doesn't have a uterus? Like, what does that say on the bigger context of our society about how we're taught about our bodies yeah. and our, our locations? So it's also very profound to me um, how how different people are taught about their bodies as well. Like, well, one boys versus girls kind of deal, female versus male kind of thing in that binary of, that we live in. And then there's also a matter of um, race does does play a great great role i like i remember sitting in health class um being separated from males and females in health class and i remember um you know how certain individuals who happened to be white were spoken to in regards to their sexuality and how how girls who were women of color were spoken to in regards to their sexuality it was very very different really different what like what do you remember um i remember like like cooing sing songy kind of things when addressing white students and kind of uh putting down or being patronizing when addressing uh, people of color um assuming things about people of color uh promiscuous like assuming promiscuity and things like that uh in regards to people of color um so it was really interesting to me because when you get told enough times that you are something you know oh yeah you believe it you know if you don't have enough yeah if you don't have enough will and strength within you to like then yeah you're just going to be what they want of course you're i mean you're a kid exactly you know of course we shape ourselves that's why universe like that's why that well not just university the time of being in your early 20s late 20s is so mind-blowing yeah because you realize what i've got this whole identity i've got my whole mind going on it's just yeah it's this is the thing but the whole thing is is that this this is nothing new there's a form of the colonialism has is ubiquitous within our society to a point where doctors still do things and say things that are like that's really racialized do you get that like i've had a doctor recently say to me oh well you don't feel pain the same way do you really did you say that to me did you just say that to me wow wow like what what makes you not feel pain exactly and i asked them i was like what exactly do you mean by that and they're like oh no don't worry about it and i was like oh you're backing up now because you know you just said something real wrong there but this is the thing is that within there there are like there are studies that people are still basing things off of that are wrong that are so wrong and it's there and we're not talking about things like that and it gets passed through on and on even as we try and fight against racism it's very hard when you have a system that's set up to just uphold it you know (laughs) i know and you and you will never perceive it unless you're on the outside of it exactly because it's used as precedent. So anything you want to build on top of that is going to have that as, as its base. It's, it's really 
it's mind blowing to me. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> as on the outside of mainstream as you can be, you're kind of yep. like the messiah. Like you're like a, you're <laughs> in a way, kind of like I totally mean this. In, but like because you can see so many things from the outside, it's kind of like it must be mind fucking blowing. You must be like, what the fuck? Like there must be so much. There are times when I am like, what the fuck? The joke of it is, is a lot of people don't understand that I get a lot of perspectives that they don't think that I could even comprehend. So, yeah, it's 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 funny sometimes. But I think that everybody has that to a certain degree. It's a matter of do we allow ourselves to recognize that and to hold that as something because it's kind of sacred to be able to have that oh com- completely i think everybody has that at it maybe not all of the time i know that i'm 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 grateful and i'm very lucky because i know that i have it more often than not simply because of my situation but i think that everybody um experiences that but do we acknowledge it do we no. hold it dear do we hold it sacred that's the thing we a don't. lot of people don't no of course not okay so if your uterus could say anything what would it say my uterus if my uterus could say anything what would it say it would say my uterus would say I'm here for a good time, not for a long time. Use me well. And I think it would cry. Why would it cry? I think it would cry because of a few reasons. Because it realizes that it is not in it is not in a host that necessarily um, wants it to thrive during lots of periods of its of its existence, um, and I think it would cry because of the pain it suffered, and I think it would also cry ultimately because. Um, it did not, um, do what it was ultimately created for, ultimately, physiologically, what a uterus is created for is to help bring about new life. Um, it's not even that I couldn't have I had had one abortion um and but if I if somebody had come to me today they never gave me the option of saving my eggs actually if someone had come to me today and asked me I would have said yes but they never gave me the option and in my state of uh, being ill it was wasn't exactly what I was thinking of um so those are the reasons why I think it would cry, though. But yeah, just in terms of what you shared with with me right now, and like, and then that you had cancer, and then 
like, so to, be, to clarify, you lost your uterus because of cancer, right? What, like, what would it, like, what now? The reproductive cancers are very prevalent in both sides of my family. And so, um, knowing what we know now, that there are probably a lot of genes that are passed on in regards to cancers, um, that uh, that's probably what's going on in regards to my family. So, I had cysts, and so I was constantly being checked anyway, so that's how they found um, the ovarian cancer, and they found it pretty early, actually, so thank heavens. But um, they didn't find it until after I had come out as trans. So the way I look at it is both times, at the same time they found breast cancer, but at that point it was in situ, and so they didn't want to do anything about it. They weren't sure it was ever going to develop any further. And I was like, but don't you see? I'm like, okay, if there's a higher power, it is saying, yeah, you're going in the right, here, let me, let, let's just help you. Here. Oh, go, go with what you're doing, because yeah, that's where you, then they don't want to give it, here, we're going to make them give it to you. So I wasn't upset about it. Uh, I knew it was relieving pain. I knew it was relieving disease. I knew that it was um, going to help me with my mentality and how I felt about myself as well. That it, it wasn't hard when it happened. And now, the only thing I miss now, and this is going to sound weird, now that I don't have a uterus, so that means that when they take it out, they they cut that entire section out and then they kind of like seal you up to a certain extent <laughs> like i mean um so your your vaginal canal right um depending on the like you know th there's an average length but you know everybody is different just like you know your vulva everybody's vulva is different everybody's clit is a different size you know what i mean so your vaginal canal will determine how what you're able to take into. Although in birth, obviously it stretches because that, but that's a totally different, it's like that's a different body mechanism that's being set off during birth. You know what I mean? Like there's a different part of your brain that's saying, okay, no, this has to expand. But during sex, that's not necessarily what happens. Your body's not doing that. It's not triggering the same endorphins. So um, you know, you can take only so much into you. Before, I could take a lot more into me. I cannot now. Right, you're like a virgin Asian straight woman. Pretty <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right. You said it. <laughs> That's all right. I I can say it because I'm Asian. It's all good. So so yeah, that's that's where I'm at now. And so I'm like I'm I I'm wondering. I'm like, so does this mean that I need to stretch this out again? <laughs> like, <what? laughs> right. Like how does how does it? Yeah. How does even like when? Because we don't even know. Like I think most like you know. um people with uteruses would not even know how it's connected to either sexual pleasure or you know what like I think that's a very foreign conversation definitely definitely something that 
I've it's like taking it for granted. Never had to think about that space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So So yeah. Thanks so much Mickey for such an amazing conversation. I learned so much from you and I have so much gratitude for you sharing your story with me and with um, the listeners of the birth talks. I'm excited for the episode coming up in two weeks, Feministing Birth in the 21st Century, where we do delve deeper into um, white feminism and intersectional feminism and what that means for reproductive justice. So join me again for the next episode. Can't wait to hear all your comments. Keep them coming. And any suggestions for stories, uh, I want to hear from you. That's it for today, folks. If you love this episode, please leave the podcast a review or subscribe on iTunes to keep it going. Think you have a birth conversation that matters and want to share? We're always looking for stories, so contact me at www.thebirthtalks.com or on Facebook. If you have comments about today's episode, find me on Twitter or Facebook at the birth talks or use the hashtag the birth talks i'm your host mango and until next time live life love true and keep it real